Welcome to Life on Less Meds, a podcast that reveals the truth about drug side effects and the best strategies to manage them. And now your host, Dr. Yosef Wittering. Okay, hi everyone. I'm delighted to have Trudy back here joining us again. This is going to be Trudy's fourth appearance uh, here on the on the podcast. Um, for for those of you who don't know her, she's a moderator for the Lamictal Withdrawal Facebook group. We work closely together, and she's one of the best uh, in the field. So I'm just delighted to always have her here, sharing her experience about. Uh, psychiatric drug withdrawal. Today, we're going to be talking about um, what happens when you hit zero. Um, and uh, Trudy brought this up as a, a topic that needs more discussion online. So I'm going to turn it over to you, Trudy, and and have you introduce this concept and why it's important to think about uh, what happens when you hit zero. Great. Thank you yeah. so much. Uh, it's great to be here again, having another conversation. Um, yeah. So, you know, I was thinking about how, in my case, I spent 22 months um, getting off of my last medication, and that's a pretty long period of time. Uh, and there's so much that goes into that, getting through the withdrawal process and the tapering process. And not as much time is spent talking about what happens after you're at zero and how can you prepare yourself to really get through the tail ends of withdrawal and adapt to the world that's out there that in a lot of cases you might not know because you know psychiatric medications can be so numbing and change your perceptions of yourself and others and so that adaptation and adjustment once you're off of the medication is a really important aspect to kind of prepare for and consider as you're even in the taper process. Mm -hmm. And um, from your experience, what do people usually expect when they hit zero and, uh, you know, in contrast to what what is meeting them there? That's a fantastic question because I think that most people think that they're going to get through that last little bit of withdrawal. And by the time you're hitting zero, you're pretty familiar with your withdrawal patterns. You know, when your symptoms tick up, you know, when they come down, you feel like you've got it, right? So I think that common expectation is you hit zero, the last of the symptoms go away, and it's like it never happened. You just return to normal, life carries on, and you've got nothing left to do. Mm-hmm. And what is usually waiting for people unexpectedly at, at zero? Life. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, everybody has something that led to them starting medication in the first place. And in my experience and from what I've seen with the people that I've worked with, a lot of times there's work to do that led to like the root cause of why you started medication in the first place Mm -hmm. needs to be addressed. And you can't always adequately address that when you're still medicated. So I think understanding that it's quite likely there's going to be a shift in perceptions, um, feeling like who you felt you were before medication versus who you feel you are after medication, those things might not be the same. And how do you get over that gap without falling back into that, you know, I'm going to call it a trap of, oh, I just need the medication. Like just because you're having some challenges with 
figuring out who you are and how you feel and how you move through the world doesn't mean that you have a shortage of a medication in your body. And I mean, this is, you know, when I'm hearing this, it's, it's really something that I think everyone should be thinking about, I guess, during that typo, right? Because if you're thinking about it, at least during your typo, you can start to get your ducks in order for when you come off, you know, and, and at least being curious about, you know, what, what really happened to have you start the medication in the first place. Um, and, you know, these could be all sorts of things. These could be things like loneliness. These could be things like a lack of meaningful work or purpose and, you know, just the garden variety things that really push people into states of, you know, depression and anxiety. And all of those things are going to be waiting for you uh, at the end and you kind of have to deal with them. And so at least having them in mind is very important while you're tapering. Yeah, definitely. And I think the time while you're tapering is a fantastic time to establish supports, um, like mm -hmm. develop a relationship with a therapist who is not going to at the first sign of anxiety or, you know, having a little bit of a down day, isn't going to try and pathologize it. Um, because I, I think enough can't be said about how when you're deep in the belly of the psychiatric system, patients are really encouraged to almost pathologize every single thought and feeling. Um, like you can't have, you know, a sad event happen that you're understandably sad about without questioning, oh, does this sadness that I'm having mean that I'm getting depressed? Um, and starting to really look at that thought pattern and unpack it, like, why does sadness have to equal depression? Why can't you just be like, you know, this poor event happened and I'm having an emotional response to it. And that's completely understandable. And maybe this is an opportunity to give myself some extra self-compassion. You know, to look really carefully about, you know, thing, things in my life and, you know, maybe relationships and maybe things that I'm doing that, that are resulting in the depression. And I'm going to challenge you. Well, not really challenge. I'm going to say something back because I see the opposite uh, sometimes with people who, who I help with withdrawal. You know, on the one hand, people often end up on a lot of medications because they're very bought into the biomedical model because that's just what they see from the professionals that they trust. But after they've been injured, you know, whether it's a side effect or, you know, they're just, you know, they're on a million different drugs and they're not working, they, they start to question it. And then they often end up on surviving antidepressants or benzo buddies, some of these big online forums. And, and there is a tendency for people when they're on there to start to see everything as withdrawal symptoms. Um, and... I also do wonder sometimes, you know, with patients who are going through withdrawal, patients who are protracted, and then also afterwards that you can kind of swing the other way where, you know, you may still be feeling very poorly and a lot of it can be attributed to 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 actually, you know, your life because a lot of these people, they've lost their lives when they go through this. They lose their careers, you know, their partners sometimes leave them. Sometimes they've lost friends because they've had to isolate and recover for so long. 
and I worry that that sometimes gets lost on people, you know, just how impactful the depression, the genuine depression can be from going through these and, and everything that you lose. But I often see people finding the ends of the internet uh, looking for like, why am I still so sick? You know, with, you know, looking for it as if there's a withdrawal answer. But when you speak to them, it would be clear as day to most people that, you know, no wonder, you know, the suffering is still so severe because everything's out of order. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a tricky subject, um, but I, something I've found for myself um, is I've had to really face the trauma um, that the psychiatry system has actually caused me. Um, and part of my own healing journey has been identifying it and seeing it. And, you know, I thankfully have a very supportive provider where I can look at things that happened and get that, you know, that reaction of like, oh, that shouldn't have happened. Like, that's not a normal thing. But when you're deep in the system, and you're helpless. um, And I, I don't feel that's an exaggeration. I think that anybody who is, you know, hospitalized, not by choice, um, and is subject to everything that comes with it, you are truly helpless. Um, And that means that things happen because people go on power trips and all sorts of different things, right? Uh, And, you know, there was a time in my life when I used to laugh um, and make Mm -hmm. jokes about some of the things that had happened when I was in hospital. And I, that was kind of my way of coping with it. Um, And it wasn't until afterwards, as I kind of started to work through, you know, my own path, that I realized, oh, yeah, that's actually really pretty awful. Like, I probably shouldn't be joking about this as if it's a funny thing. Um, Like, um, and I think, you know, the other thing that kind of came to mind when you were talking was how isolating um, withdrawal can be. Uh, And I've been kind of thinking about that because you often hear um, people who are in withdrawal comment on how, you know, they don't have anybody in their lives who has experienced it, so they can't understand it the same way. Uh, And when I was recently thinking about this, it kind of came to me that even those who have experienced it, we have, you know, I have enormous empathy um, for anybody who's in withdrawal. And I absolutely believe them when they say these are my withdrawal symptoms. Uh, But the truth is, is that I have my experience of withdrawal and they have their experience of withdrawal. And even if you take two people withdrawing from the same medications, they have a very unique experience where nobody can actually get inside someone else's body and experience Mm -hmm. how they're feeling. Um, And so no matter how strong of a support circle you have around you, the process of withdrawal is isolating. Um, because it drives you inside yourself to try and understand what's going on in your mind and in your body. And how do you come back? How do you move day to day and keep that hope, you know, that here's the path I'm on. And when I finish this path, I have a bright future waiting for me. Uh, And I, I really actually think that's a huge part of the work is keeping that hope. And that's kind of where this 
preparing for the end of the taper comes in because it takes tremendous stamina. Uh, like getting to the end of a taper is hard work. It's really hard work. And when people go into that with the idea that once I'm at zero, that's it, I'm done. I think it does a disservice to them because it's like, you think you've climbed up the hill and you're, you know, you've done the hardest things and you're home free, but there's still some, a different kind of hard work waiting on the other side. Um, And so helping people prepare for that, just knowing that there's going to be some physical adjustments in the body, there's going to be some changes in their thought processes, there might be things they have to deal with. Um, And how do you develop a roadmap for after zero? Um, Hmm. I think that first six months to a year after you've hit zero is just as critically important as the taper time. Do you ever see people slide back to medication use in that in that f- first year off? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I can't speak for the individual as to you know whether that's the right answer for any given person, mm-hmm. um, but it does tend to follow a pattern where they wait until they think that withdrawal should be over, and then they turn to a medication to solve, you know, they kind of come back to the conclusion of, well, maybe I really did need the medication after all. Mm -hmm. Uh, When, you know, to me as an outside observer, it still very much appears like the tail ends of withdrawal and just needing to get through that adjustment process. But when someone's having, you know, it, it isn't always emotional things. Sometimes it's physical things, you know, they're, having really bad GI issues uh, and they just can't Mm. take it anymore. And so they're like, well, I know this came from withdrawal. So if I reintroduce the medication, maybe that'll give me some relief. Uh, And so I think, you know, there's a whole, there's a lot of different symptoms out there that not everyone gets. And I think they're all able to be managed but it's really hard to manage something if you're not expecting it. Yeah, I'm thinking maybe a nice way to pass this out because you know, I think about the different things that can happen to people is, you know, if you have protracted withdrawal injury, um, it is possible that you could still experience symptoms for a long period off the drug. I mean, we know several, several of them just in our team who have been off medications for several years but still have residual uh, healing that's going on. So there's that side of it where, yeah, if you have protracted withdrawal and if the symptoms are still there when you stop, you could just, you know, you just need to expect that the brain will continue to heal off medication and the time course is unknown. So there's that clinical picture. Um, And then there's also the, um, you know, if, if it's just more of a straightforward withdrawal and you haven't been injured, then, I guess we would expect that at least the withdrawal symptoms to fully go away probably within about three months. You know, it would probably be the worst the first couple weeks after you come off and then the last next couple months after that, we would expect it to resolve. So depending on whether you're more of a protracted injury or a standard withdrawal, you could expect those two different courses. But independent of that, um, there's the... 
I guess the dealing with the psychological symptoms that 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 may still be waiting there, and that and that would apply to both of those as well. Um, so, hmm. what do you? How do you, how do you tell people to prepare? You know, when you when you're coaching them, Trudy, in in your group, I want them very forthright. Um, so a really common after effect of Lamictal is around six to eight weeks off. You, it's pretty common to see nausea and diarrhea. Uh, and if you're not expecting those symptoms, people think something is really wrong when it lasts, you know, sometimes for a few weeks. And whereas if you're prepared and you can say, you know, mild foods, um, you know, things that, you know, agree with you, like my safe foods in that time period was like bone broth and sweet potatoes, mm-hmm. um, like not much, but at least if you know, these are the foods that I can tolerate and this will pass, you know, like my gut is going to finish rebalancing itself. It's going to figure things out. And on the other side, I'll be able to eat more food again. Um, then you can make a plan. You can be like, okay, I'm going to make sure I have these things in the house. You know, if I, I'm losing too much weight. Maybe family can do these kinds of things for me, right? Um, the other thing I always recommend is start therapy. Uh, and I, I'm not sure the benefit of starting it at the beginning of a taper, but by the time you're down to like I'd say the last 25% of the taper, you should have ideally a well-established um, therapeutic relationship because you really need someone who knows you and knows your history to be able to really just be the support that you need. Uh, Like I've had so many conversations with my own um, psychiatrist where I literally, the question I would pose to him was what do people who've had amnesia do to recover? Like I have this life. I've clearly put a lot of time and energy into building it. And I feel completely disconnected from it. How do I reconnect? How do I pick up and move forward when some of this I don't even remember making the choice to do? Uh, And that's, you know, that's a really hard question to sit with. And if you don't have someone that you really have a deep trust with that you can safely pose that question to, it's going to make it really difficult to work through those things. And I think everybody has different things, you know, everybody's struggles are unique to them. Um, But having that pre-existing support in place is really important to be able to do that work and make that adjustment afterwards. And, and, and you don't have to answer this and, or, you know, just share as much or as little as you want. Was that, something that you went through firsthand when you came off as well, you know, kind of recovering from, as you mentioned, like there was the life that medicated Trudy was living and the decisions that she made. And now it's, you make it sound like it's like you become almost a different person. And how do you pick up where this old version of yourself was, was living? I don't know. Is that, does that make sense how I'm saying it? Yeah. And it's, I, appreciate you rephrasing the question back because, you know, for me, and I have seen other people in the Lamictal group describe similar things where you, there's a point where you just realize you feel completely disconnected from your life. Um, And how do you 
re-engage? How do you find, you know, like the number of times that I have legitimately I'm actually laughing because I'm imagining, you know, if I was my psychiatrist, you know, and you hear the same thing over and over, maybe it's funny in a way. Um, But I legitimately asked him probably no less than half a dozen times, you know, how do people with amnesia recover? Because in my head, I was going like, I'm not the first person to find myself in a life that I really don't feel connected to right now there's got to be something like that was my thought press was process was there's there's got to be a way to reconnect um and i guess i can say now that i'm you know more years down the road the answer there wasn't a magic answer i desperately wanted there to be a magic answer but my answer was live how is meaningful to me now do the things that bring me joy now, um, engage with the people around me in a way that's meaningful to me now, and form new connections. Um, Because for me, I, and, and I think it's important for those who don't know my story, you know, to mention that I was medicated for over 20 years. Um, So someone who's only been on medication for six months or a year, they're not going to have the same huge degree of disconnect. Um, But I kind of have like a before medication feelings. And then there's this chunk of time that is surreal, uh, where I did things, I had kids, I (laughs) got a career. Um, You know, I did all of these different things. And yet, the intention and that emotional connection and all of those things was gone. Um, After I was done my taper, it was like I was just bobbling along in an ocean by myself. And I had to figure out how do I form these connections to the people around me who they care about me. You know, I thankfully kept most of my own support network and friends through the process. Um, But internally, I didn't feel connected. Uh, And, you know, that was a major part of the work that I had to do to find happiness because it's very isolating when you don't feel connected to the people around you. That's really interesting because, you know, the intuitive thing that, that I would imagine is that, you know, as maybe as you come off medications, you might feel more connected or, or more, you know, more capacity to connect, but that was, the opposite that from what happened to you, right? Yeah. And yeah. I, I think it was because I think it was just because I spent so long on medication. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think it would probably be different because if I think, you know, now when I think of my pre-med life, I feel connected to it. I have clear memories of it. Um, I have spotty memories of my time on medication. Um, But there's been instances, and this is outside of, because I have permanent memory loss from ECT damage, but Mm -hmm. this is even post ECT where there's things that it's just, it's like completely detached. Um, And, you know, this is a bit of a personal story, but my grandparents died um, 
actually I think all three of them while I was on medication. But the first time that I mentioned my grandfather um, after I was off medication and he'd been dead for many years at that point, it was like this collision of fact and feeling where even though I knew factually that he was dead and I had, you know, gone through the grief process when he died or so I thought being off of medication when I, that memory came up the first time, it was like the emotions fired at the same time as the memory. And I was over, like I burst into tears. Mm. Um, I was completely overwhelmed by all of the feelings as if I had never felt any of the feelings. And so it's very, it's fascinating in a way because I've had it happen multiple times where an event that happened while I was on medication and I have memory of comes up and then all the feelings pile in. So it's, I view it as a net positive because I think naturally humans, memories and feelings generally coexist. I don't think it's normally a case where memories and feelings are completely separated. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's, you know, that's been something for me that I've had to, like, it was shocking the first time it happened uh, because I had no idea that my memories and feelings weren't together. You mentioned earlier on that a lot of the work for you was rebuilding connection. Um, Again, share as much or as little as you're comfortable, but where were the main areas of disconnect in your life or the most impactful ones? And then how did you work to rebuild those over the, over the years? That's a tricky question. Um, I think my immediate family uh, was the most. Um, And it's interesting because I have a memory of my middle daughter, you know, when she was less than 12 hours old, like, I'm in the hospital, we're, you know, Mm -hmm. postnatal. And I can remember staring at her face, just trying to remember every single detail. And then there was a time where I became aware that I had the knowledge that I loved my kids, but I didn't have that same emotional feeling. Um, Like it was kind of like at that point, you know, over... 15 years had passed. So, you know, some of that is probably a sign of the medication damage that was occurring. And I became aware after I was off medication that that, you know, fiery, passionate, like you'd do anything to protect your kid kind of love, the feeling was detached. And I had to really work to even get back in touch with those feelings, because it's almost like I was a robot of sorts, you know, where feelings were separate from everything else. And so I think it's, you know, it's an example with my child, but it permeated everywhere where I was just emotionally not connected to anything. Uh, Yeah. So what has it been like uh, post-medications kind of rebuilding that that connection, the, 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 the struggles, the joys, well, what's that journey been like? I think it's been real. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> that sounds like a silly way to put it, but um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's been a lot of times where, you know, I've been in 
my my youngest is 17 now. Um, so he would have been just entering teen years uh, when I finished my taper. Uh, my middle, like all of my kids were at home still. My oldest is married and living on her own now. Uh, but I was very upfront with my kids during the taper process uh, about the reasons why I was getting off of it. And then afterwards, there's been a process of really recognizing when I'm out of line or when I'm not responding reasonably or where, you know, maybe in the past I did something one way, but I, you know, present Trudy looks at that and is like, geez, I feel bad. That wasn't great. Like, was it harmful? No. But is it bringing my best self forward? No. Um, and I'm so really big on owning that. Yeah. What? I'm just thinking it's so interesting. Do you think you parented different on medications compared to off medications? And then there was a, 100%. a disconnect with expectations from several years um, one way to another. Okay. I definitely did. Um, I always lean towards, you know, if you want to put a label on parenting, I was always more the attachment parenting kind of parenting style. So I was like, you know, the be there for your kids, be connected to them kind of parenting model. Um, and so I really did aim to keep those connections and to listen and to understand where my kids were coming from. But it wasn't until I was off of medication that I realized that effort is great. But like, I don't know if you're a swimmer or not. I'm not a swimmer. So if you tossed me into the ocean, I could tread water. And if it wasn't too far out, I might be able to make it to shore. But if you asked me to swim, you know, mm -hmm. 15 or 20 miles across, I couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think I was like, that was how I was parenting. Like, was I doing my best? 100%. Yes, I was. But was I as connected and involved as how I viewed myself and how I wanted to be? I wasn't. Uh, and that wasn't for lack of trying or lack of love. I just didn't have that part of my brain wasn't available. Mm -hmm. um, like, and so now that it is available, you know, I have, you know, there's been times where my kids have been like, you know, teenagers will sometimes talk back or whatever. They'll be like, I don't think this is fair. And before I used to be very big on, okay, nope, this is what I said. You have to do what I said. And then afterwards we can talk about it. Whereas now I'm like, sometimes I decide I'm wrong. Uh, and, you know, we can have, dialogue and conversation around that. And I think it's a more human approach, right? Because we connect with each other by seeing each other where we're at and receiving each other the way we are. Uh, and I think I had, that wasn't something I could understand when I was on medication because I just couldn't feel it. You make it actually, I'm, I, I, I'm expecting you to say one thing and then I and then my expectations are changed. So it sounds almost like you are more reflective now off medications where in the past you would just sort of drop the hammer and they would just have to kind of go with what you say. Um, do they 
But then I was also thinking it sounded like maybe, do you have more conflict now or less? With them, with a with a more with a more reflective approach, as opposed to maybe a more um, kind of parental. I mean, some of this also changes as they get older. I understand that. As yeah, well. and that's what yeah. I'm kind of thinking. Yeah. I think that there's probably less uh, overall. We've never had a lot of conflict. Like I've been very, you know, blessed with my children, um, and you know, we've had ups and downs and bumps like everybody but we're not the typical house where you usually hit like I'm not a yeller um and that's something I've tried very hard to maintain like so little that if I'm yelling when you know there were rare times when I did yell when my kids were little it was so rare they would instantly cry because if mom's yelling something's really wrong um and so conflict wasn't something that really happened a lot, but I would say there's more connection and more benefit of the doubt. Mm. Uh, meaning that because communication is much more of an art than a science. And so even when people love each other and care about each other and they're really doing the best they can, and they're trying to communicate their care, sometimes those conversations still go sideways and, So when everybody in the conversation has that trust of, okay, I'm feeling hurt right now, but I know that mom would never say something to actually try and hurt me, then they come back and they say, you know, when we had this conversation, I felt this way. And then I can say, okay, I'm sorry. You know, that's not the direction. That's not what I was trying to communicate. Um, And we can work things out. So I think because I'm able to reflect uh, and that's really changed the way I can receive valid feedback, you know, because I, I do believe that it's important to recognize that as a parent, you're never perfect. Um, And Mm -hmm. sometimes it's our kids that call us on our, where we've gone wrong. (laughs) And so yeah, so that's, I, or, I think there's definitely less conflict. Or, or spouses or family members or siblings or all these types of things. And I, I wonder, um, you know, this kind of more reflective um, attitude that came out. I mean, is this empathy based? Because there's a lot about medications and emotional blunting or emotional constriction, which I think really can make people less empathetic I, I, I think that's the only way that you can say it because if you're not feeling things as strongly I, I suppose maybe it's harder to interpret um, well yeah uh, uh, harder to to feel and to understand the positions of others that, that you deal with maybe that's kind of shut down a little bit yeah I think so I think yeah. um, I think empathy isn't an on off switch necessarily. I think it's like a sliding scale, but it's really difficult to have empathy, full empathy, we'll say, like if you're not able to self reflect, uh, like, so say someone is, you know, on an SSRI and it's kind of like really numbed any feelings of sadness. Um, 
it's going to be really hard to empathize in that in a moment with someone who's maybe lost a loved one or is dealing with a really sad situation because you can't necessarily bring that feeling up for yourself and remember this is the experience of that feeling and then relate to them with that understanding. Uh, whereas, totally. you know, when medications are out of the way, you can. Yeah, we were, I mean, my wife and I, we were taking Zoloft together for, for a period of time. We made a video about this. And I guess one of the comments was just about how little, um, you know, I would just, we would have our fights like most people do. I think the one I remember was just like leaving the kitchen, like an absolute bombsite, you know, and then just like sitting on the couch and I don't know, I was probably on my phone or something like that. And her just kind of going off at me and how easy it was to not like, um, you know, when someone's yelling at you or they're mad at you or they're upset with you, like you can't really help but feel a lot of their emotions because they're coming at you with with that kind of emotional signal and it kind of resonates in your brain and you usually feel what they feel and um and so it was really easy for me to ignore her um and and I could just yeah and I've discussed this a lot last time so I won't go into it but there's there's all these groups about um the effects of um medication on relationships out there which are really interesting where they talk about the subtle ways about how things like emotional attunement kind of going down can impact the relationship and I mean they cover everything but I definitely felt less empathetic when I was on Zoloft. So you know this is maybe a personal question that I'm asking you now um but I'm curious if you had the self-awareness to recognize that you had less empathy when you were on it. Um, I didn't at the time because I was just sitting there ignoring her and she was just losing it. Um, but when she came to me and was just like, hey, I really want you to come off. Like, let's stop the experiment. This is over. I really don't like you when you're on this medication. And I got the feedback from some friends as well. Um, who, who, you know, I was telling them, you know, I'm just seeing what it's like. And they were just like, you see, just seem kind of spacey, you know, um, kind of less. I'm like a pretty energetic person and, and they didn't like that either. But it was really her just saying, yeah, it, it doesn't suit you. Like, I think, you've, uh, you know, she essentially she was saying, I've seen enough. And, um, and then afterwards it was me really reflecting. But, I mean, this is a two-week period of time. You know, this wasn't like several years or anything like that to, I guess, really get like lost in it. So I think it was easier. Um, it's incredible for, though to think the degree of impact just in two weeks, right? Like how many people start a medication thinking, well, yeah, I'll see what it's like. And if it's not for me, then I'll just stop it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's yeah. I, I felt that, that it worked. I felt that it worked like really, really quickly. Everyone, you know, I was always taught that it takes several weeks to work, but it, you know, within like a couple of days, you know, I was already feeling something. Yeah. Hmm. Um, you know, we haven't talked about um, the other important relationship I know you talked about your children. What did you have to what What did you have to prepare for? I guess with with your spouse as, as well. You know, come, you know the before and the after. What What's that like? I think there's still 
challenges there in part because um, he's been dealing with some health things on his own. Um, and mm -hmm. he's been, he was still on medication. He still is um, on medication. He's on uh, Wellbutrin and Celexa. Um, and he's tapering off of the Wellbutrin right now uh, with eventually planning to get off of the Celexa as well. And so it's very, it's been challenging on a lot of levels because, you know, my own experience of waking up was like, holy cow, okay, like, let's grab life by the horns and like, run and do all of these things now, right, kind of um, energizing and wanting to really engage. Um, and he, you know, for multiple reasons, wasn't able um, to engage in the way that I really needed to engage. Um, so there's, you know, I guess you could say there's been some challenges, like he's super supportive of me and I'm supportive of him and we love each other. Um, we've been married a very long time. Like I was 18 when we got married. So we were actually married before uh, I was on medication long-term. Uh, but it's, it's challenging to connect with someone who's still deep in medication, right? Like he's been altered by his medication. Um, and all I can do is just patiently be there, uh, and un have empathy, you know, for, he's got limits and it's not what he's choosing. You know, this is just where he is right now. So I would say that mm -hmm. that relationship is still, there's still work to be done, um, but it can't be done in the same way um, at this moment sure. in time. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so I'm thinking, I don't know how we can summarize everything we've, we've, we've talked about, but what, if you could give people like a top three or something um, for things, you know, someone just imagine they're halfway through their taper, you know, they're looking towards the end. What are the top three things that they should have in their mind for um, what happens when they hit zero and how they should look at that? Uh, I would say prepare for the psychological adjustment because there will be one um, in some manner. So have some supports in place. Um, no, I'd also say really build a self-comfort toolkit, you know, and so that when you have those feelings start to reemerge, you know, the first time that you feel really sad, for instance, or, you know, maybe something isn't going your way to have something you can tell yourself of like, yeah, you know, this, this response is pretty understandable to what's just happened and celebrate it rather than worrying about it. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I always use the illustration of a rainbow. You know, a rainbow wouldn't be a rainbow if we tried to reduce and pull out a few colors that we decided weren't great. Um, so emotions are the same thing. Like, is it difficult the first time you have, you know, maybe a panic attack when you haven't had a panic attack for a long time or you're feeling anxious or sad or, you know, whatever the case may be? it's difficult the first times those things happen, 
but know how to respond to yourself and know that just because you've had a time period of anxiety or you're feeling a little bit down, that doesn't mean that the issue that drove you onto medication is rearing its head. And the first thing you should do is reach for whatever medication you just stopped, like be prepared to go through the proverbial fire for a little bit to give yourself a chance to really work through those issues that led to medication in the first place. Um, And I think, you know, this is maybe a bit of an aside, but I think as a society, we've kind of developed this view of happiness and satisfaction and what does it mean to live a good life. And we've kind of, in all of those imaginings and visions that people build, we completely ignore that everybody has times where they struggle and things aren't perfect. And so I think if we, as a group of people could get really real about, you know, just because someone's feeling sad doesn't mean something's wrong with them. Just because someone's worried about something doesn't mean something's wrong with them. Uh, And really like that's, I think a critical thing to really get comfortable with the idea that you can have strong feelings and that can be perfectly okay. It, feelings don't have to mean anything. They can just be an experience that is an electrical signal going through your body. And on the other side, you carry on with your day. Um, and that sounds kind of detached maybe, but I sometimes I just tell myself like, well, I guess my brain decided to throw out some electrical signals and <laughs> here's how I'm feeling at the moment, but I'll be okay once this moment passes. Um, and that works for me just to know that this is for now. It's not forever. And the things that we focus on tend to be the things that come into our life the strongest. So if we keep hope and we believe like this is just a moment and it's not going to stick around, you know, you can, it's a fun thought experiment or maybe a challenging thought experiment to feel joy. So you think about like your state of like, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty happy and content. And then think of something sad and recognize that you can have both of those feelings at the same time. You can feel overall happy with your life and still have that feeling of sadness. And that feeling of sadness doesn't take away from your happiness with life. Um, And I'm not sure if I'm explaining that in a way that makes sense, but it's... Mm -hmm. I think that that ability to hold many feelings at the same time without focusing in on the ones that we've identified as being less desirable or worrisome or whatever word might fit for someone, um, it's super important. And so I would, you know, that would be a piece that I would say. And then I'd say, be patient with your body. Uh, Like your body is doing hard, hard work and that work is going to carry on for some time. And so just give your body the support it needs to be able to succeed at finishing the work it needs to do. I'm going to summarize because it kind of helps me as I think through this. So it's like one, you need to prepare for the issues that led to you getting on the meds in the first place. If you've been on them for a really long time, you may need to 
help someone integrate those those years medicated with with who you are now and the impact it has currently um you need to make sure that you're still prepared that you, especially if you're protracted that you're going to be going through some withdrawal symptoms still and recovering from that um and um i guess the last thing was just like you may be used to an existence where you're not feeling such intense sadness and anxiety and that might just become quite a shock to you when you leave the medicated kind of world and and that's okay you know obviously listen to those signals definitely have a support system and a therapist to see if they are telling you real things about your life but but that's actually just like a normal part of living and and it's probably easy to lose that or forget that if you if you are you know fairly strongly medicated for several years to just be like whoa what is this this is not a not what i signed up for like where are you coming from yeah i um i think that's great i think this was like such a interesting um perspective on how to psychologically prepare for 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 time on the other side and and so uh yeah trudy thank you thank you so much for uh you know bringing this topic up and allowing me to to speak with you about it yeah thank you um and i have a quick question because you had mentioned something before um you had mentioned um that you have a general recommendation for how long someone waits before they would consider possibly taking a medication in the future, like the minimum time frame that you'd say, let your brain settle and your body get back to baseline. So what would that be? Um, how long would I say someone should wait? It, I think everything flows downhill from like diagnosis, right? So I would really want to know, you know, why they wanted to get back on the medication because if I talk to someone and they're saying, I can't do this, um, it's really different when you when someone's like, I can't do this and they're like, you know, I'm seeing a therapist, you know, my family's supportive, you know, I don't have, you know, a lot of... Um, stresses that that are easily modifiable like that person who's who's doing really poorly um i don't know maybe six months it's arbitrary really just depending on how much how much suffering they're going through before i would say uh, you know maybe you should i mean if they were really suicidal maybe it would be sooner but if i spoke to someone and they were just saying, like, I'm by myself. No one ever talks to me. I live this kind of isolated existence. You know, I'm very disconnected. Um, you know, there's no meaning in my work and, and and things like that. And there was all of these 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 stresses out there. I would do everything that I could to try and build them up. Um, and um, and then I, I may give them more advice like, hey, if you can hang on while we work together to try and fix some of these things, then like, let's, let's, tr- let's try that first. Um, I don't know if that helps. Yeah, I, I, I would think it's more like why the, the, the first question would be like, why do you want to go back on? Like, what are you experiencing? And then what is that kind of pattern of symptoms and things in your life telling me about your situation? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. And I, I think the one thing that I've learned in hindsight um, mm-hmm. is that healing continues for much longer than what we think it does. Uh, like I'm over four years off and I'm 
I'm actually, and I am, would not consider myself to be like a protracted withdrawal case, but I'm still seeing small improvements that like just randomly show up. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is great. Uh, and so I think that, you know, our brains are incredible. Um, and so if someone has the capacity to give their brain a chance to recover, um, I think that's that's the ultimate, you know, best course of action when when there is that space. Yeah, and there's I guess there's obviously probably an accelerated growth. Um, you know, when you when you come off medications, I think you start to feel more, and so you're getting more information from your environment. It's some of this can be very new, and so I think people could make huge strides in their um, um, in the psych, you know, the emotional intelligence, how they relate to people, all of these things. It's just like the floodgates open, and it's like you're you're back online a hundred percent, and and there's huge huge things that 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 you that you may not have been able to notice or appreciate on medications, and you and you're going to keep on reaping the the dividends of that if you are able to get to a place where you're stable enough to to work through these things and and kind of learn from them here's a good time to wrap so trudy thank you so much it's been a pleasure talking to you once again yeah thank you for having me thank you for listening to today's episode if you want to see the full video interview we also post these to youtube just go to wit during psychiatry on YouTube to find those. You'll also find several YouTube exclusive videos from doctors Yosef and Marissa posted several times a week. Finally, if you need help with your drug taper, getting a second opinion, or managing your post-acute withdrawal, come visit us at witduringpsychiatry.com. Our sole focus is on helping patients regain control of their lives and achieve optimal mental health on as little medications as possible.